All right. Official good morning to all of you. Today is Friday, February the 1st. Officially, the year is one-eighth over. And officially, January is in the books. Your final numbers for direct recruits and base recruits and personal production and base production and cash flow is all in the books. And whether you're proud of that number, you're disappointed in that number, whether you hit your number or not, it's in the books. There's nothing we can do to change January at this point. What we can do is learn from January. We can learn what worked in the month of January. Like, what did I do good? Did I do a good job of beginning to build new habits? Did I do a better job of planning and scheduling my days and planning and scheduling my weeks? Did I do a better job of accountability? Did I do a better job in any of those areas? Did I do a better job with my calls or my follow-up? Did I do a better job of working on my closing skills? So we we can all look back to January and say, where did I succeed? Where did I win the day? Where did I win my many days? Where did I improve in January? Where should I be concerned? Where are there areas in January of my business that looked an awful like December, November, and October. In other words, areas that I wanted to grow or change or make new choices in or improve in that I sort of got stuck in old routines, old habits, and produced old results. Those are opportunities for growth right there. What did we learn from in those specific areas? Those are critical to identify as well as the wins. I just got a text from one of my part-timers Gracie Vargas, and I was just so excited to get the text from her, and she had a personal best yesterday. As a part-timer, she had 53 points yesterday, 53 points, four appointments, and four guests out of her calls yesterday. That was a, 53 points was her all-time record. I also believe that the four appointments and the four guests, both of them individually, I believe, were personal records for one Um, day for one calling session. So uh, unbelievable. One of the things I shared with Gracie, like once you stretch yourself in an area like that, it's hard to ever go back. And certainly the more times that you stretch yourself in an area like that, it's hard to go back to your old ways. And what some of us really need in the coming week is as we look at January and look at the areas maybe that I got stuck in old routines, I got stuck in old habits, and I really didn't do the things that I was intending to. Maybe it's with what time you're showing up in the office in the mornings. Maybe it's with how many calls you're making on a day. Or maybe it's with your baseline units of activity per day. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's in the number of personal guests that you're inviting or the number of personal recruits that you're getting. Whatever area it is that you sort of you had goals for the year, you had goals for the first quarter, you had goals for January, and you fell short on And what you noticed was, Even though I had a goal, even though I had a plan, I failed to execute the plan, and I I more likely sort of got sucked back into old habits and old routines in that specific area of my business, and I didn't grow the way I intended to. One of the things that I'll recommend that you do is do what Gracie did yesterday, and that is completely submerge yourself and overdo it. In other words, if you're trying to stretch yourself to – 35 baseline units of activity every day, six days a week, and you fell short um, every day last month, or you fell short like 50, 60, 70, 80% of the days last month, then one of the things I might recommend to you is just for a week, just for next week, 
to like do everything you can to eliminate everything out of your schedule, reschedule it for the following week, delegate it to somebody else, and make a commitment, make a decision that not for the whole month, but just for next week, you're going to do 50 baseline units of activity every day next week. And just submerge yourself so deeply in that activity that the following week, 35 is easy running your normal schedule with appointments and interviews and one-on-ones and everything else that you do. But for just a week, submerge yourself in the activity. If you've been trying to get in the office every morning by 9 a.m. and start your days by 9 a.m., and you notice that you've been falling into the old habit or routine of showing up at 10 or 10.30, then maybe just for a week next week, get the kids handled some other way, eliminate some of your morning routines, maybe shower the night before, and make a decision just for next week, I'm going to get in the office at 7.30 or 8 a.m. No matter how prepared, unprepared I am or how undone my hair is, I'm going to show up just next week at 7.30 or 8, and then the following weeks it will be much easier for me to show up at 9, which is my original goal. You gotta, sometimes you've got to overdo it. Sometimes you've got to overcorrect. We've all done that with our children at times, I'm sure. Sometimes we see a habit or a pattern with one of our children in an area that we don't like, and we overcorrect. The consequences, the correction is greater than the offense. But we just do it because we want to nip that in the bud. We want to stop that behavior in its tracks, and we want to redirect a better behavior. You know what? That same technique works with ourselves. I was just watching this morning as I was getting ready, I was watching MLB Network, shocker, me, me, me watching or listening to something baseball related. I know that comes as really a great shock to many of you that know me so well. Um, and they were talking about Alex Rodriguez, and like he did this 10-day challenge that I guess is a lot of people are doing. And it's a 10-day challenge of no carbs and no sugar. No carbs whatsoever and no sugar whatsoever for 10 days. And so I guess he just completed it, and I guess he had posted, I think, on Instagram, something where he's got, like, pizzas. He's got multiple pizzas in front of him, and he's got French fries in front. Like, he has so much carbs in front of him, it's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but what did he do? Like, for 10 days, like, he overdid it, right? He overdid it. Now, I don't know that him going crazy today is a, is is really learning the lesson. He may have just punished himself for 10 days for no reason. But the point is, is you can do anything for five to 10 days. Shoot, uh, one, of my, uh, one of the SMDs in our office and one of my best friends, Ricky Monte, just finished, I might mess this up, but I believe it was a 25-day fast. I, I might mess that up. I believe it was 25 days. It might have been longer than that, where it was a, like, it was a real fast where he did not eat any food for 25 days. All he, he, all he lived on was water for 25 days and a very small, diluted-down bit of juice from time to time when he needed just a little bit, his blood sugar increased just a little bit. So for 25 days, he didn't eat food, any food. He didn't chew anything. And then even when the 25 days was over... He didn't, like, go crazy like Alex Rodriguez. He started slowly back with, like, bone broth and a light chicken soup and just very, very light stuff because he knew his stomach couldn't handle it. And so if he can stop eating for 25 days, my belief is this. Um, you could go out and make 50, 50 baseline units 
or 60 baseline units or 75 baseline units for five or six days next week. My belief is that for a week you could show up at 7.30 or 8 in the morning. My belief is that for a week you could make a commitment not to come home before 10 p.m. And then for an entire week, Monday through Friday next week. And make sure that you're doing everything you can from the moment you get in the office to the moment you get home to be extraordinarily productive. Get everything done that you've been meaning to get done and then some more. On top of your appointments, on top of all your administrative stuff, on top of all the calls, like you're running all kinds of personal appointments. It, you're, like you're, you're creating personal appointments just to fill the time because you're not letting yourself go home before 10 p.m. I think you get my point. Um, we've all grown in January, and I want you to make sure that you celebrate all wins. That's the first thing I told Gracie when I got her text this morning. Hey, let's celebrate. That's outstanding. That's unbelievable. Let's celebrate that. And then once we celebrate all our wins for January, what are the areas that we need to learn and grow? I just want to remind you, I want to take you back for just a moment, and, uh, and then I'm going to go through some new material today. But I want to take you back just a moment to one of the things that we discussed a few weeks ago that I had um, worked with some individuals on in some individual leadership meetings and I think or some individual goal-setting sessions that I went through with a number of individuals and then I think I went through with one group in my suite. I just want to go back as a reminder to a number of you. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I had it earlier. Okay, that's the wrong one. I can't believe this is being recorded. Um, I think I have it here. Tell me it's here. Tell me it's here. Nope, not there. It was uh, It was from the Leadership and Training Institute. And the bottom line was, was that it taught us all the importance of accountability. It taught us all the importance of accountability and how important that is in being successful. How much like having a goal, setting that goal, and then having a plan for achieving the goal, deciding you're going to achieve the goal, sharing that goal with other individuals, and then creating some sort of accountability system with somebody either on a daily or a weekly basis it increases your chances of achieving the goal up to, I believe it was something like 90%, 90% simply by doing that. Yet some individuals still resist the accountability. They're afraid of it. It's, it's their ego. It's their, it's their self-esteem. It's their self-confidence. They avoid the accountability. They especially avoid accountability with people who will hold them accountable. And so I want to challenge you. I'll, I'll find that, and I'll repost it on the group meets. But I want to challenge you to embrace that, because if you really want to embrace your goals, if you want to increase the odds of achieving your goals, the greatest thing that you can do is have a specific plan to make a decision you're actually going to achieve the goal, to share that with other people who are important to you, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your upline leadership, your mentors, to share those goals and that plan with as many of those individuals as possible who care about you and want to see you win, and then to create a very specific accountability program, ideally by text on a daily basis, and ideally by a face-to-face -face or a phone call on a weekly basis. I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you to love the accountability as much as you love your achieving your goals, because I believe this. I believe your chances of achieving your goals, even your crazy, ridiculous, God-sized 
goals for 2019, your chances of achieving those goals are directly related to your level of accountability. They're directly related to your level of accountability. So if your level of accountability is low, your chances of achieving the goal is low. If your level of accountability is high, your chances of achieving the goal are high. So accountability is an important piece. Your schedule is an important piece. Making sure that you're scheduling your priorities early in the day when your energy is the best, when you're fresh, when you've had fewer distractions, and when you've got fewer things that have potentially put you in a bad state. I want to make sure that you're focused on your baseline units of activity and building the right habits. You're not going to build a big base shop ever if you don't make a commitment to making a lot of calls. We didn't have baseline units of activity as a way of measuring back in the day, but back in the day, I'll tell you what we did know. If you were going to build a big base shop, you had to make a, a gang load of calls every single day and every single week. And all of the guys and all the women that have built big base shops over the years have simply made more calls. They're not necessarily more talented or smarter or better skills or better market or better credibility. They simply outwork people, and they outwork people by making more calls, having more guests, more one-on-ones, and running more appointments. And so I want to encourage you, and I shared this uh, uh, with a number of you, and it's true, like if you look at your worst quarter over the past two years, if you had your worst quarter ever in the first quarter this year in terms of recruits and points and cash flow, I would be overly joyous if your results were that poor, but you got a hundred percent. If you got an A plus in accountability, an A plus in scheduling your time, an A plus in hitting your baseline units of activity, and an A plus in building those three habits because I know the second, third, and fourth quarters are going to be monumental. So what happens as we begin to increase our calls on a daily basis? What does it look like? Some of you know this already. Some of you are in the more advanced stages. The majority of you are in the earlier stages of this. As you begin making more and more calls every single day and every single week, there's a series of events that unfolds. Okay? The first thing that happens is your skills increase. Your skills increase by you making a lot more calls, by you doing more of any activity, swinging a golf club, uh, practicing piano, throwing darts, you name it. Anything that you do more frequently, in other words, day after day after day, and more times per day, you're going to naturally develop skills, especially if you're in an environment that encourages feedback, and direction, and correction. So the more that you do these around other people, the more your skills are going to increase faster. The other thing I encourage you to do is to track everything. In other words, the baseline units of activity is a great tracker. Here's what I encourage people to do that I'm coaching directly. Uh, number one, something that Evan Janis really, I think, turned the hierarchy on to about a year and a half ago was to write your goals for the week at the top of your baseline units tracker to write your goals and what you're excited about doing at the top of that tracker inspires you each day as you're going through. Maybe words or phrases of affirmation. Maybe some of your big dreams. Like just write things on that tracker in the margins. They're going to excite you and put you in a positive state. Maybe put a picture of me on your baseline tracker if that puts you in a positive state. For many of you, I'm sure that will work. <laughs> For others, I'm sure it will cause you never to pick up the tracker again. Um, on the back of the tracker, this is one of the things I coach people to do all the time. On the back of the tracker, here's what I want you to start to do. 
as you're on a phone call with somebody and you're trying to invite them, you're trying to set up a one-on-one, or you're trying to uh, set up an appointment with them, at whatever point you end the call and don't get your desired results, write down what's the last thing that they basically said to you on the back of your sheet. Was it like, I don't have time, I'm not interested, I've done this, but like whatever it is, whatever the objection is, and sometimes you got to rethink through that conversation and think really at what point, here's what I'm looking for, at what point did you eject on the phone call? At what point did they say something and you go, I'm not going to overcome this, or I'm done, or they're really not going to come, or I'm not going to get them to agree, I'm hanging up now politely and saying goodbye. At what point did you, did you agree to that? At what point did they close you? And so whatever that statement is, I want you to write it on the back of the sheet. And I think what will begin to happen, the more that you write down your objections on the back of the sheet, here's what you're going to begin to find. You're going to be, begin to find that for you individually, you get the same two or three objections over and over and over again, or you, or you exit a call at the same point over and over and over again. So one of the ways that skills increase is when we're aware of where skill development is needed. What objection am I struggling with the most? What objection do I need to work on the most? The next step is this. The number of objections per call increases. The number of objections per call increases. In other words, when most people start increasing their calls a lot, they get one objection and they bail. And then they start getting frustrated by that, so they actually begin to use one of our objection handling techniques, one of our scripts, every time they get an objection, and they overcome the first objection. And oftentimes what happens as soon as they overcome the first objection, guess what happens? They get a second objection. And when they get the second objection, in their mind they're like, I already tried, I already overcame their objection, this person is nothing but full of objections, I'm going to politely say goodbye and they object. As you begin making more calls, your sense of what I call indifference increases. What do, I, what do I mean by indifference? You become less emotional every time you get an objection. It doesn't bother you as much. You get to a point where it really doesn't bother you at all, not even a little. It's more of just a game to you. It's just sort of fun because each objection they give you, you've answered before for somebody else. Each objection they give you, you already know that you've got something scripted in front of you that you can say in return. And so the game becomes, how many objections can I overcome before they eject from the call? How many objections can I overcome politely, professionally, before they eject from the call or before they agree to become my next guest, my next one-on-one, or my next appointment. And there's a magic in that. When you get into such a state of indifference that you overcome two and three and four, in some cases five objections on the same phone call, that's when a magic really takes place in your ability to make calls, your confidence making calls, your level of certainty when you make calls, your level of conviction when you make calls, and your level of congruency when you're making calls. You actually begin to believe what you're saying. Your defensiveness goes down and becomes almost non-existent. In other words, when somebody has a question or objection, you don't become defensive at all. Your energy isn't defensive at all. You're relaxed, you're poised, and you're confident. It's like watching 
Tom Brady in the fourth quarter when they're behind by seven and time is running out. They're just relaxed, poised, and confident. Not uptight, not worried, not nervous. The same happens for you when you make enough calls and really begin to get into a place where you're overcoming objection after objection after objection on the same call. So that's sort of phase one. Phase one, the skills increase. The objection handling techniques increase. You're able to overcome more objections per call, and your level of indifference increases. Those are the four major steps of phase one of really increasing your number of calls and really in hitting a higher baseline units of activity on a daily basis. The, uh, the next phase is this. Your activity level begins to increase. What do I mean by that? You begin to have more guests, and as a result of the more guests, you have more hiring interviews and ASAP appointments. You begin to have more one-on-ones, and as a result of the increase in number of one-on-ones, you also have an increase in guests and ASAPs. You begin to have more appointments that come directly out of the calls. Out of all three of these, you wind up with more fast start appointments, more ASAP appointments, more data collects, more closes, and more one-on-ones. So your activity dramatically increases. What else happens in phase two? Your efficiency increases. Like I was talking about with Gracie yesterday, if she goes out and hits 50-plus units a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, an eighth time, a tenth time, not even in a row, not even necessarily back-to-back -back days, but over like say the next three weeks, let's say she busts through 50 ten more times. Here's what's going to inevitably begin to happen. You become more and more efficient. In other words, you can knock out 25 baseline units of activity or 35 or 45 that much faster. What used to take you, like in some cases when you're newer at increasing your activity level, you're not very efficient. So it might take you five hours to hit 50 baseline units of activity. But the more that you do it, once you sort of get into phase two, what you'll find is you might be able to knock out 50 baseline units of activity in two hours, two and a half hours, where in the beginning it took you four or five, maybe even five and a half hours. So you become far more efficient. You're more organized. You're more prepared. You've got your numbers in front of you. You've got your tracking sheet. You've got your objections. And you just get through the calls a lot faster. There's a lot less downtime between calls, and you're able to do more back-to-back -back calls without taking a break. You're able to make more calls faster. Also in this stage, what happens is you get better at scheduling your time. If you don't, your schedule becomes a bottleneck for the increased activity. But for most people, that next area of development in phase two is tightening up their schedule, where you get better at scheduling the right kinds of activities back to back. You get better at what time of the day or day of the week you start scheduling certain activities. Your ability to plan your days and plan your weeks and follow your plan, actually follow what you're planning on doing, actually following your schedule improves dramatically. And the amount of activity that you're able to schedule into a day and accomplish, the amount of activity that you're able to schedule into a week and execute increases dramatically. That's really phase two. Many of you are either in phase two or trying to work your way through phase two. But the majority of you are really working through those phase, that phase one of dramatically increasing your calls. The next thing I want to talk about for a few minutes is growing the size of your team. And what do you need to do to retain your people? I had a conversation with somebody just the other day, and 
all of a sudden they're getting two, three, four, five directs since the start of the year. Like the number of direct recruits that they're getting is dramatically increasing. I had another conversation with somebody else, their base shop recruiting was really growing this month compared to what it averaged all year long. So they're excited about all of the additional recruits. And there's a couple of things that have to happen as you're doing this. There's one of two things where most people go, when your recruiting numbers begin to grow by 50% or 100% or 200%, one of two things happens the majority of the time. You have to be aware of it and prevent it from happening. Number one, you start slowing down on making the calls, slowing down on the guests, because you feel a responsibility to train and develop all of these new people. And all of a sudden, the activity that you were doing to, be, to just begin growing your base shop, to just begin growing your team, to just begin growing your business, the very activity that got it, created momentum and got you in a, in a state of growth, you stop doing or dramatically slow down doing, and you move from growing your business and being an entrepreneur to being a manager and training your people and managing your people and developing your people. And so that's sort, of, that's sort of distraction number one that you need to be aware of. You've got to continue to make your calls your number one priority, even above training and developing your people. I'm not going to suggest you don't train and develop your people. You know me better than that. But you've got to continue to make your calls your number one priority. It cannot shift into the number two or number three priority. It can't shift down because you won't get to it or you won't do enough of it, and you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. And I've seen that happen, like literally that, that happens 85 to 90% of the time. 85 to 90% of the time when people begin to get personal recruiting numbers really growing or base shop recruiting numbers really growing, 85 to 90% of the time they start getting uncomfortable with the activity. They start getting uncomfortable because balls start to drop. They start getting uncomfortable because new associates start to complain, hey, you never showed me this or nobody's taught me this or I need to learn this or I need to do that. And they get uncomfortable with the activity and balls starting to drop and they start reprioritizing their time to be a people pleaser and to feel like they're doing a good job of training and managing and developing. And they try and do a good job in the areas that maybe they felt like, well, nobody did this for me and I need to do this for my people so that they have a better experience. And it's all well intended, but it kills you from ever building a base shop. Now, in a smaller percentage of the time, 5, 10, 15% of the time, that's not the problem. In a small percentage of the time, people get so obsessed with recruiting, direct recruits and base shop recruits, that like, they, they, so over, they, they almost over-prioritize the value of getting a recruit that they don't do anything with the recruit. They never build a relationship with them. Every recruit that comes through that, that they personally recruit or they, their base shop recruits, everybody that they recruit isn't good enough isn't tough enough, they quit the business, they, they become a, a um, you know, uh, whatever you call that, an under the, undercover agent, they stop showing up the meetings, stop returning calls, stop returning texts, then that individual always blames the recruits. Even though the old saying where there's smoke, there's fire, like they, don't re they have all of these personal recruits coming through their business and can't retain anybody, can't put, anybody, can't put any kind of a team in the room, or they have all these base shop recruits, 
and their team isn't ever growing at all. It's the same old people month after month. They take no personal responsibility for that. They're like, they're doing their part because they're getting all of these recruits. It's all the recruits' fault when really there's a big leadership lesson to be learned there. They're not, they're not doing what's necessary with the new recruits to retain them. There's no way you can recruit 25 or 30 or 40 direct recruits in a year and not build a big team unless you've got a big hole in that part of your business that needs to be addressed and you've failed to address. Now, that's, I'd rather have that problem. I'd rather have a problem with somebody doing, having 25, 30, 40 direct recruits a year and a big hole because they can't retain any of them. That's something I can work with. That's something I can help somebody build a massive base shop. That's easier to work with than somebody who's not doing any recruiting, personal recruiting at all. That's hard. Same is true with base shop recruiting. They've got five or 10 or 15 base shop recruits a month. They've got 60 or 80 or 100 or 120 or 150 base shop recruits a year, <clears throat> and their team's really not growing at all. It's really not growing at all. Same sort of challenge. So what is it that we do to make sure that we continue growing and that we retain our people? Number one, you keep making the calls your top priority. You keep making the guests your top priority. You keep making the one-on-ones your top priority. But in addition to that, when you meet with a new recruit, the interview is 24 to 48 hours. They're either doing a stay and pay where you're recruiting them right after the meeting or they're coming back the next morning for an interview. Worst case scenario, the next afternoon for an interview. Like horrific worst case scenario, two days from now. And then from that meeting, this is critical, you never meet with a new recruit <clears throat> and a new recruit is anybody in their first three months, really, in their first 90 days, you never meet with a new recruit without having scheduled with them a next time to meet. In other words, I meet with you to do your hiring interview. Before the hiring interview ends, we both agree upon and schedule a time to get back together. Whether it's for the fast start, it's for the ASAP, with, the, with their spouse, it doesn't matter. We're agreeing on a time to meet, and we're confirming that time. And then from that meeting, we're agreeing on and confirming the next time to meet. And then from that meeting, we're agreeing upon and confirming the next time to meet. Here's what does not count, the next BPM. That does not count as a next scheduled time that the two of you meet. There's got to consistently be times that you're meeting scheduled between you and the new associate independent of your BPMs. It's critical, and it's about every 24 to 48 hours. It's about every 24 to 48 hours. That seems like a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get a recruit. It's a lot of work to retain a recruit and keep them growing. You've got to remember their mindset is not what yours is. They're brand new. They don't see things the way you want them to see them. They don't understand things the way you want them to understand. It takes a lot of time for you to shape the way they look at things for you to influence their thinking. And the more time you spend with them over a shorter period of time, the better your chances are of actually influencing them. So you've got to continue to schedule face-to-face -face meetings, and you can't ever leave an appointment with them where you don't have the next appointment scheduled. That's huge. That's huge. And it's got to be every day or two, every day or two, especially the first two weeks. Maybe in the third or fourth week, you start going every three days. But it's got to be consistent, and it's got to be, here's what I would suggest to you if you're uncertain, it's got to be more frequent than you think is necessary. Well, what would I meet them for? 
uh, not to train them. You'd meet them to make calls with them where they're listening to you making calls in their market. And then they're beginning to make calls and you're listening to them and giving them feedback. And then you're, beginning, and then you're going on appointments with them. It's got to be over and over and over and over. Um, here's the other thing is I'm not a fan of scheduling fast start appointments and other meetings with these people before your weeknight BPM, after your weeknight BPM, before your Saturday BPM, after your Saturday BPM. It's too much. Too many of these are part-time people, and you're taking what should be a two-hour meeting with them on a BPM and turning it into a three, a three-and-a-half-hour, a four-hour meeting. This was supposed to be part-time for them, and all of a sudden, you're giving them so much information in your hour, hour-and-a-half, two-hour meeting with them, and then they're getting so much more information in their two-hour BPM. It's overwhelming. It's too much. They're not going to remember it anyway. I would rather you meet with them have a BPM and two one-hour sessions or three 45-minute sessions with them than you trying to knock out two hours before the BPM. It's far more effective. <clears throat> I know it's not as convenient for you, but what is convenient for you is the effectiveness of retaining people and building a big team. Um, you need to talk to each, the, each one of these new recruits, whether they're direct to you or in your base shop, every single day once they get started. Once they sign the AMA, every single day it's a phone call, not a group text, not a group meet, not a personal text. You're literally on the phone with them for three, four, five, six, seven, eight minutes every single day. None of you have so many personal recruits or so many base shop recruits that you don't have the time to do that. You just don't have the interest in doing it. You're lazy. It's inconvenient. There's, you're, you're, you're working too hard to get your calls in as it is. You've got to make the retention of new people a priority and you retain them by building a relationship, by putting out fires when they're small before they get big. What do I mean by that? A fire is any time they get any kind of negativity. They read something on the Internet. They hear something from a friend. They notice something at the BPM about somebody who's been there a long time who's not making a lot of money. They, like all of these things that will attack them and get in their mind are little fires. You've got to stamp them out while they're small. If you're talking to them every day, they're naturally going to bring these things up. They're naturally going to come up in conversation. You can put them out. If you're, the only time you're talking to them is when you see them at a BPM and three or four days goes by. That goes from being a small fire to three or four days later being a freaking inferno, like a, like a huge brush fire in California, and like your chances of putting it out are dramatically reduced because you're trying to do what's convenient for you, not what's effective, okay? So do you need to text them? Yeah, you should have to send them a personal text every day, probably two or three or four, but you've, that can't replace you being on the phone with them. Next is what I've always called the ninth filter. The ninth filter is what? As soon as you recruit somebody, I want you to take them out to lunch and I want you to treat them. You take them out to lunch and you treat them. Why is that important? It's all, there's something magical about breaking bread with people. There's something magical about meeting somebody outside of the office, away from work and building the relationship. They don't know the exchange principles yet. They don't need to. It's okay for you to drop four bucks on, on Del Taco or eight bucks on Chipotle or Pyology or Project Pie or something like that with them. It's okay. It's not going to kill you. And for you to sit down, pick up a meal, break bread with them, it shows them you care enough just to spend time with them as a person. 
Like you, like you literally care about them as a person, and it's invaluable in doing that. So I've called that the ninth filter. That should happen in the first week with every one of your direct recruits and probably the majority of your base shop recruits, unless you're just recruiting so many people you can't keep up with the pace. But think about it. Even if you're recruiting 15 people a month, that's three or four lunches a week. It's not hard to do. By the way, can I tell you something else that's awesome to do with that new recruit? Hey, maybe they can't meet you for lunch because of where they work and they get a short lunch break. Okay, number one, obviously you could do it on a Saturday after the meeting. I would not be opposed to after a meeting on Saturday, you go into lunch with them. That's different than you trying to fast start them after a BPM on a Saturday. But number two, you know what's really powerful that I learned from Monty? Let's say they work a half an hour away from you and they get a short lunch, like a half hour or 45 minute lunch. You know what's really powerful to do? <clears throat> meet them for lunch right by their work and have them bring two or three people from work. One of the things Monty taught me that I used to do that I need to get back in the habit of doing was a simple game with, the, with these guys. Go, hey, if you have three people from work meet us for lunch, I'll pick up lunch for everybody. If it's less than three, you buy. So if it's just you and one guy or you and two guys, you're buying lunch. If it's three or more, I'm buying lunch. Now, by the way, you can make it two or more. I don't care. But the idea is is you get to have a lunch with your new recruit and their two best friends from work. The two people that are most likely to talk them into it are the two people that they are most likely uh, just as frustrated with the job as your new recruit is and most likely to join. And then you've got two or three people joining from the same company, and that's powerful. So that ninth filter can be done a number of different ways. I always believe early in the relationship it's important to encourage them all the time but to correct them as quickly as possible. I think too many people wait till a new recruit has been around for too long before they correct them. I want to I correct somebody's behavior in the first week they're a new recruit. I want it to be a small, subtle correction. Hey, you did a great job with this. Um, remember when we talked about this, that, and the other thing? You did a great job with this, but that other thing, uh, you didn't do what we were expecting or what I had asked. I want to make sure that you clean that up. Uh, hey, remember when we talked about on your top 25 list, you getting me? You did a great job of building over a top 100 list when we did the fast start. You did a great job of blowing it down to top 25 like I had asked. But uh, on the top 25 list that you just gave me, four of the people are missing phone numbers, right? And so what we needed was a top 25 list with all of them that have phone numbers so you and I could start calling. We're still going to start calling today. But um, just make sure in the future when we agree to do something like that, make sure you follow through all the way, okay? That's important for you to achieve your goals. Now, they were only missing four numbers. I get it. But it's the idea of me establishing a coaching relationship with them where I'm giving direction. My expectations are for them to follow through on directions, even the details of the directions, and to follow through all the way. So I want to create that kind of a relationship, set those kinds of expectations as early as possible. And it's easier to do it with small things in the beginning than the first time you're correcting them is they've been around for six weeks and you're coming down on the hammer on something because they've done something wrong so many times it's really got you frustrated. Or you're one of these people that uh, instead of correction holds it all in, holds it all in, holds it all in until you build up this resentment this disgust for the new associate, they just don't want it bad enough, they just don't do this or that, but you've never even tried to correct them. And then either they sense the frustration or they start failing and you're like, good riddance. That's dumb. Don't be afraid to correct people. Just learn how to do it in a professional and positive way. 
Um, <clears throat> I, want, I want you to create a role for the new associate as soon as possible. Now, the first week or two, the role I always create is like, hey, I explain to them what MoZone is, and I want them, my goal for them, and I'll remind them at the beginning of each of MoZone, hey, I want you to meet three associates today or four associates today in the MoZone, not guests, associates, and I want you to really get to know them. I don't want you to shake hands with 10 or 12 associates today. I want you to really get to know three or four associates today. That's far more valuable for them to really get to know three or four associates because if they do that three meetings in a row, now there's 9, 10, 12 people in the team, in the office that they really feel like they know well, and as their guests are coming, they're able to introduce them to people that they know and, that, and the new associates know them so, they're the new, so the existing associates are able to do a better job with the new associates' guests. And the new associate has more confidence in introducing their guests to the existing associates. So, and then once, they, once you've done that for two or three or four meetings, then you create some other small role for them. You put them in some other small role. The more that they've got a role, a sense of ownership, a, a responsibility, the more likely they are to keep coming to the meetings and not quit the meetings. All right, I just lost my notes. There we go. Uh, obviously, uh, getting them enrolled in licensing is important, but here's what, here's what not enough people are doing. I don't know about all the associates, but for sure all the SMDs have access to all of the people going, who are enrolled in licensing in their base shop. That's something you should be reviewing on a, uh, like every two to three days. Like, where are your people in licensing? When's the last time they logged on? How many hours did they put in when they logged in? How many chapters did they make it through? That's something like not just, it's really powerful for you to work with your SMD and know exactly where your people are in licensing and go, hey, I see you haven't like logged in in two days or three days. What's wrong? You need to get done with this in 10 days. You need to get done with this in a week or two weeks, whatever the number is. Like what happened? You haven't logged in like two or three days. You've got to be logging in every night for at least an hour and a half, 9 to 1030. 9.30 to 11, something like that after the kids go down. You've got to get that done. So you making sure they have a test date scheduled, and then you making sure that they're logging in and working on licensing every single day. Otherwise, weeks and months go by, and they're not doing anything related to licensing, and you're just getting frustrated with them. I'd rather that you know when you're pointing it out to them rather than ask, like, here's what weak leaders do. How's licensing going? That's a weak question, and you're going to get weak responses. There's no real accountability. Here's what it means. It means uh, to the new associate, they go, okay, my leader really has no clue what's going on. They really don't have any clue. This really isn't an important deal. It's like you asking your kids, like, oh, how's homework going? How's your grades going? Uh, oh, fine. Versus you going online and checking out the grades or checking their assignments and going, hey, I noticed you turned in this assignment late, and I noticed you got a C on your last quiz in this other subject. What's going on? It's a far more powerful conversation as a parent. It's a far more co powerful conversation as a leader. So make sure that you're using those resources to show them that you're paying attention, that you're reinforcing your expectations, that you're helping them to be successful. Uh, lastly, make sure you're working hard to build a real relationship with these people, not a fake relationship, not a fake WFG relationship like, hey, buddy, how are you? Great to see you. You're awesome. But that you're taking the time to call them on a daily basis, 
go out to lunch with them, spending time getting to know them. And, like, imagine you going out with your wife or your husband, your significant other, and it was early in the relationship. You literally wanted to call them every single day. You literally wanted to talk to them every single day. You literally wanted to see them every waking moment you can. That's sort of the gene that you have to turn on with a new associate, where you genuinely, I can't wait to see him again. I can't wait to see her again. I can't wait to talk to them again. I can't wait to inspire them again or challenge them again or set expectations again. I can't wait to connect with them again and talk about their dreams some more again. Like, you've got to have this desire. It's easy to want to spend time with the people in the office that you already have great relationships with. There's no challenge in that. There's no real growth in that. The real growth in you as a human being and in your business is constantly building new relationships, which eventually become those old, safe, strong relationships. I love talking to Nikki Cannon. I love talking to Mark Onsat. It's easy. It's comfortable. I enjoy it. We have so much shared history together. We know each other so well. We respect each other. We enjoy each other's company. Those are easy people for me to have relationships with because they're so well grounded over so many years. It's far more difficult the new guy who just AMA'd last night or Wednesday night to begin pursuing that relationship, to, to prioritize calling that relationship and calling and working on that relationship over my relationship with Nikki or Mark. Nikki and Mark are easy and comfortable. It's predictable where the new person isn't. I, I'm not as close to the new person, but I've got to, I've, for them to become the next Nikki or the next Mark, I've got a desire to build the same kind of relationship with them that I have with Nikki and Mark and see if can I build this one faster and then can I build this relationship even stronger? I don't know yet, but I'm going to try. Last couple of things. Uh, make sure you're doing things with your whole team outside of the office, team events, phone zones. We had a, like a, a base shop meeting last week, and I brought in uh, pizzas and salads and sodas in the office, and I think it was like 85 bucks before tip. It was nothing. And it's... It's literally nothing in your business, right, to do stuff like that. I think we had 16 people there in the base shop, and it was like 85 bucks, <coughs> and then I tipped the guy. So uh, you can do a potluck if 85 bucks is out of your, um, you know, out of your consideration. Um, a phone zone, a training, you could, you know, have a Super Bowl party with a potluck or. A Valentine's Day night for all of the people on the team that don't have sweethearts. Or there's so many different things you can do. Be creative. Be resourceful. Maybe you're not very creative or resourceful, but I bet you've got somebody on your team is a team that is that can help you with this. That can brainstorm ideas or they can plan it for you or whatever the case might be. But make sure you're doing things with your team to build a team. A team is not a group of individuals that produces numbers for you. A team is a group of people that work together, that support each other, that encourage each other, that challenge each other, that expect, have expectations of each other, that depend on each other, that trust each other, that like each other, that have fun together. That's what a team is. And at the end of the day, that's what you're here to do. The people with the big teams have the biggest incomes, the biggest passive incomes, and the biggest residual incomes. And building a big team starts with the stuff we talked about. 
a great schedule, a lot of calls, hitting your baseline units of activity, having uh, a strong accountability program in place, going through phase one of building, uh, building the call volume up, building your baseline units and increasing that number and hitting that number on a daily basis, and all of the things that happened to us during that phase one. And then we evolved to phase two, where we're handling not only the calls, but the activity and the schedule and, and, and the challenges that, that give us an opportunity to really grow going through phase two. And then as we're increasing our personal recruits and our base shop recruits, all of the little things, many of which you won't even find in the business format system, but all of the little leadership things, all of the little relationship building techniques that are necessary to retain the, everybody. Because some people go out to an SMD in six months. Some people it takes six years. Some people it takes 10 years to get to SMD. Some people get their watch in six months. Others it takes a year. Others it takes five years. Others it takes 10 years. Same with their ring. Same with EMD. Same with quarter million dollars. It's like, hey, I, you know what? I want the guy that it takes him 10 years to get to SMD and get their watch just as bad as I want the young lady that gets her watch and her SMD promotion in nine months. I want them both. So the only way I'm going to have them both as a part of my team is to build relationships with both and to do everything I can to retain them because the more employees, the more agents that my business has, the bigger my business is, and the bigger my business is, the bigger my income will be and the bigger my benefits will be for me and my family. So I hope you picked up at least a couple of things. Many of you could have picked up four, five, six, seven things, I think, from today's call that can dramatically help you not only to grow the size of your team but to retain the people that you've added. Okay. Hope that helps. Hey, I'm excited to see on GroupMe. I'm excited to see on personal texts to me. I'm excited to see in emails to me your goals for February, the, the achievements that you're celebrating, the wins that you're celebrating in January, the adjustments that you need to make in January as you look back at the num numbers, you look back at your calendar, you reflect back on some of the things that you're still working on. What are the adjustments that I need to make? What are the things that I learned from January? What are my successes that I want to celebrate, make sure Schleiman knows about from January? Here's my goals for February. Here's my plan at, after I've adjusted it based on January's results. And let's get after it. Let's do something big in February. This is your month. This is your year. This is your quarter. I'm here to support you as the rest of the leadership team is in any way that we can. Love you guys so much. Let's knock it dead.